You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, this is Ruv English and I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your time once again. I, I'm in Keplavik today. I'm at the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll, which has been here since 2014. And as the name suggests, it seeks to detail the history of rock and roll in Iceland and the importance of music to Iceland, modern music, you might say. And of course, here on Ruv English, we have regularly with our correspondent Lydia every Friday for the last few Fridays been looking at the history of Icelandic music through a variety of different genres. Thomas is here, who's going to guide me around this pretty big museum. Yes. It is quite a size, isn't it? Yes, it's quite large. It's usually uh, bigger than people think when they come inside. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Keplavik is the point of entry for most people to the country. They tend to make their way straight to the Blue Lagoon or perhaps into Reykjavik. But is this becoming more well known, do you think, to tourists? Uh, we have quite a few visitors stopping by here when they land. But we have more visitors actually visiting before they leave the country. It's more popular with people leaving the country. Yes. We're right at the very introduction, the entrance, I guess, with a timeline going all the way back to... 1835. Why is that the first point on this timeline? What's significant about that? Um, so the um, the man who wrote the manuscript for the um, exhibition, he thought it would be a good point to start with Jonas Hallgrimsson because he writes the, the first kind of poem which was sung amongst people in Iceland. So that's why they started in 1835. How important was that? Obviously, the oral tradition of telling stories in Iceland is enormously important and has been for, for centuries. How yeah. important did singing become? After that, it kind of opened the gates for more and more music to be, you know, sung amongst people, I think. Okay. Now, this timeline takes us up to 1929. It includes the recording of Pieter Au. Jonsson, who was the first Icelander to sing on a record. He did that in Copenhagen in 1910. We've got the first performance of a patriotic song by Helgi Helgesson being formed at Thingvetlia in 1875. So, I mean, this really is the basics, isn't it? You've, yes, you've outlined here the really important first steps. Yes, and that's kind of the theme around the whole exhibition is uh, we just point out the biggest points of story because somewhere we had to draw the line of, you know, where to, um, to end, really, and, you know, how to select especially the artists that we feature around the museum. Yes. Well, let's take a look around then. The first artist that we see, about as Icelandic as it gets, and one of the names from the country that really has made its name and their name around the world, that's Sigaros. And here they are with an exhibition about them and a wonderful old mixing desk as well. Yeah. Yes, this is actually the mixing desk that they recorded uh, their f most famous album called Auggetis Birion. Mm. Um, well, it was kind of the album that you know made them famous. It was, it was the first one I'd heard in the UK back in exactly. the late 90s, yeah. In 1999. And uh, yeah, this mixing desk uh, we got about three years ago um, when they were moving rehearsal spaces. And apparently they, they, they drove the music via this mixer, which is kind of um, old school now when you look at it. Everything it, it, is, it's a little bit old school, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of it's on the cusp, isn't it? There are some digital elements there, but it's, it's, it is quite old school. And a proper piece of Icelandic history then. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. I'm glad uh, that it's been preserved and it's here. <laughs> and here we are in 2023, of course, with a new Sigaros album just released. After, yeah which is doing well for them. Let's move around. We have a shop to the, the left, which at first glance could also be, I guess, be part of the exhibition because as well as the chance to buy Icelandic music, there's a chance to, to, to see, I guess, some of the Icelandic music that has been successful over the years. Yeah, we, we have the, like, the most common uh, no, asked for merchandise like Sigurós and Björk and Of Monsters and Men and... Um Lots yeah. of vinyl as well. I mean, that wasn't as popular 20 years ago as it is now. Exactly. Yeah, like I think 95% of what we sell is vinyl. Really? CDs are really yeah. on the way out. <laughs> OK. <laughs> All right, let's move around. 1930 to 1939. Well, the timeline is set up like we have these big bullet points, but we also have at the time, so people can like place themselves in time. Like if we walk down here, you can mm. see um, in the 1940s, you have what was happening um, like in Österbaya Bio and all these places in Iceland. But then you can also 
just to place yourself in time, but when Coke starts uh, producing in Iceland, you know, people will, re will remember that so they can place themselves. Yes. In so, the so, for example, 1942, you've got records by the MA Quartet being released the same year, of course, Winston Churchill visited Reykjavik in the yeah. same year that Bing Crosby recorded White Christmas. Yeah. I'm fascinated by what I'm seeing here, some 78 RPM records, I think. Yes, these are very rare albums, um, which were selected by the uh, curators of the exhibition uh, from Islandskir Tónar. Mm. From left, this is Ingibjörg Thorbergs with the song Oh My Papa. And here we have Sigur Olason singing Svanur Min Singur, which means that my swan is singing. <laughs> and Jakob Hafstein and Karls Billig Quartet, Fiskimanna Krau in Florence, a fishman's pub in Florence. <laughs> and taking me back to my very early radio days, there's a reel of tape here as well. Yeah. Do you know what's on that? Uh, no, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more for exhibition purposes. Okay, well, that's, that, it could be anything on there yeah. worth playing. All right, 1950 to 1962, the rock and roll years. We've got the Icelandic Symphony Orchestra giving its first concert in Reykjavik, uh, we've got Alfred Clausen singing on his first 78 RPM records and Ruve banning Erla Thorstein-Dottir and Vago Velta rock and roll because of its lyrics in 1957. I don't know whether would I be allowed to play it now. I probably would. I think it's probably a lot of day, <laughs> yes. But this is also the part of the exhibition where we start featuring artists, like Haukur Mortens was very big uh, around the 40s and 50s, so that's why we have a four-meter-high picture of him here. And yes. We also actually have behind us clothes that he wore during concerts, um, like at Hotel Borg and these places in Reykjavik. Mm. And we do this like every now and then um, during the exhibition, but yeah. Haukur is the first one. You know, for a country of only now 360,000 people and obviously a smaller number than that in recent years, Iceland really does punch above its weight, doesn't it, in terms of its musical creativity. Are visitors surprised, are tourists surprised when they learn not just of Iceland's current musical stars, but of its history as well? Yes, I would say so. They they usually, when we le let them listen to the old music, they're quite fascinated by the quality of it, mm. um, especially the stuff in the 60s and 70s. Like, yes. So I can mention like bands like uh, Truprot, um, and not just the current ones, but the old ones. Um, I don't know if you remember them, um, but they were a very like, progressive band, and talking about punching above their weight, they yes. were like quite you know before their time, I would say. I think we have, as I say, on our regular feature where we've looked at the history of Icelandic music, I think they have indeed featured in a previous episode. Yeah. Where did these exhibits come from? Where did you get the records? Where did you get the tapes? Where did you get the even the costumes that we're seeing? Uh, yeah, they've been given to us. We're an official museum, so <clears throat> we're not allowed to buy anything. So people either loan it to us or give it to us. But I think 95% of the memorabilia here has been given to us, like the dresses and the suits behind us. Let's talk a little bit about some of the artists that are featured here then on the boards as we go past. Someone else we've definitely talked about on a previous show from Ruve English is Ellie Wilhelms from 1935 to 1995 when she passed away. A very well-known, indeed, is this the costume that she wore behind me? <laughs> these, are the dresses, uh, these are the dresses. A very well-known figure in Icelandic music in the 20th century. Yeah, she was very well-known um, and kind of one of the first women singing in bands. So she was kind of, kind of a pioneer, I would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And recording as well in the UK in 1966. Yeah. And you can see the costumes that she would have worn there yeah. as well. Uh, Runar Juliusson. Yes, he is like a local hero here. Um, he is the Elvis Presley of this area. So he was in the band's Hjomar, which was kind of the beginning of the Beatle era here. Mm. Um, there was a Beatlemania, of course, going on in the UK and the US, but they kind of copied it here. 
and Rúna Júlíusson um, was in a band called Hljómar and this building is actually named after that band. So this is Rocksafn Íslands, so the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll, but like the umbrella name for the whole building is Hljómahöll, mm. which kind of means the palace of Hljómar, or in English, like direct translation would be the palace of chords or tones, yes. but it's a direct, you know, quote to the band that he started in. Where did these artists play and perform here in, in Keplavik and also in the capital and other places? Were there lots of places for bands to play? Well, actually, if you mean in in this area, they played at uh, like an old, I'm not sure what you call it, but it's it was a small place, a building from uh, that was used on the base, the NATO base. It was called Crossin. That's mm. where this band played its first okay. uh, show. Um, but that's actually what's like significant about this area is the proximity to the American NATO base, which yes. was opened in the 40s. Um, so artists from here would get to know artists that were coming, um, were visiting the base, and they would learn new, you know, guitar chords or jazz chords, and even see instruments that they'd never seen before. Or, yes. And there, there was kind of a knowledge sharing going on, early knowledge sharing, and. And very early on, I think the uh, Americans uh, recruited bands to play on dances uh, up there and, and the other way around as well. Yeah. How important then on that was the American radio that came from that base? Because, of course, it was broadcast from very near here. It could be heard as far as Reykjavik, I think, around yeah. to Akranes as well. And a lot of Icelanders with literally nothing else to listen to on the radio apart from Groove yeah. would have listened to that. How much influence do you think that that had? I think it had a major influence and um, especially with the radio, I think it started here and then reached Reykjavik, so that's why I think people heard the radio mm. here first. But I knew that was the case with the American TV. Like they could almost get broadcasts down in Keflavik, but you couldn't get them in Reykjavik. So they saw bands, you know, yes. before people in Reykjavik. So yeah. I think the proximity of them having them here and you know, seeing American artists play and Elvis Presley and all these bands. I, yeah. I think it had a major influence and, you know... Do you think Icelanders managed to put their own stamp on that style, so it wasn't just about copying what they heard and listened to, was it? Yeah, they weren't just copying, they were writing their own songs as well, but they also yeah. did cover songs of, you know, Mamas and the Papas and Beatles songs, and they made their own Icelandic lyrics and... Um, yes. Yeah, but they were very famous around the country. I've been to Kolaportith quite a few times. I love digging through the crates of vinyl there. And what you find sometimes is something that's always fascinated me, that there are lots of records that were released and made by local bands in Iceland, but on the Parlophone record label, which is the same label as the Beatles, huge exactly. UK record label. Is that because there weren't facilities to make and, and press records here? I'm not actually quite sure, but I, I think that might be the case. Yeah. This one here is actually the most, uh, I would say, valued memorabilia in the This is Hilmar. This is Hilmar, the band that Runa Juliusson and uh, co were in. Uh, they made a movie called Umparu Pampa, and they made music to it. Mm. But for some reason, uh, the movie never came out. They hated the movie, and they didn't like the music. So I think that the, uh, the most of what was printed and made, they threw away. So that's why it's a collector's item today. And... I think they're selling for around three thousand dollars. If you, if somebody finds this in an attic somewhere, uh, it's around two or three thousand dollars on eBay now. It's funny because they didn't even like the music. No. Apparently, the music isn't very good. Yeah. Uh, but it's a collector's thing. I don't know. Well, it's it's an EP by the looks of it. So four tracks, I think, yeah. on Parlophone, on EMI. Yeah, for about three thousand dollars on eBay, <laughs> ten years ago, probably more than that now. Right, into the 70s, who are we looking at here? Uh, we're looking at Björgen Halldorsson. He was in bands called uh, The Lonely Blue Boys and Brimklo and Chains, amongst others. He's a, he's a good big figure today, and um, he's done a lot of stuff. We even had an, a special exhibition about him, especially, um, in 2016, which lasted for about a year. Um, he's sang on numerous occasions in Eurovision, um, and yeah, there's. Mm. I don't think there's an Icelander that doesn't know who Björgen Halldorsson is. Yeah, yeah. Nu mă 
Iceland is famously a country that takes Eurovision incredibly seriously. It enjoys it, it loves it, but the music matters to Iceland in a way that maybe isn't true with every other country at Eurovision. Yeah, I think every Icelander is always surprised when they talk to an English person or a Swedish person or a French person that not, not everybody knows Eurovision, mm -hmm. like in Iceland. <laughs> it's a big thing, you know, people take off work and yeah, the streets are empty yeah, around yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just look at this year. I mean, we, Iceland, didn't even qualify. And yet every, yeah. the entire nation, I think, was glued to yeah. the TV, weren't they? So going through the, the 70s, Megas, another name that will be known certainly within Iceland, but maybe a little bit outside of the country too. Um, yes, he is a special uh, character. He, I think his main uh, theme would be very good lyrics. He's not, maybe not the world's best singer, but he's considered to be like, you know, Iceland's Bob Dylan. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. If I'm supposed to compare him to somebody. And has worked with Bubi Mortens and with, with Björk as well. Yeah. Is this the permanent exhibition that we're in then? You talked yes. about some other exhibitions that have been here from time to time. Yeah, so the, the uh, we call it the basic or the uh, permanent exhibition that, you know, just tells you the story of pop, pop and rock music um, in Iceland. But then we have, on a few occasions, done special exhibitions. The first one was about Patl Oscar, the pop star. And then the second exhibition was about Björgen Halldorsson. Mm -hmm. And the third exhibition wasn't about a special artist, but I'll show you later. We have this interactive e uh, LP player. Okay. Then Meanwhile, we're looking at an exhibition or a card, if you will, about Stuðmenn who first appeared in Reykjavik at a high school dance in 1970. The photograph we're looking at here, they are posing in a barbershop, I think, aren't they? Yes, I think so. For a, yeah, it's a shot for an album that they did um, not that many years ago, maybe 15 years ago. But yeah, they're a legendary band and they were the main characters in a movie uh, called Medalta Reynu. I can't remember the English name now, but um, yeah, as you can see, they did an open air festival in Atlavik in the east of Iceland. Mm -hmm. And Ringo Starr was, was their special guest. This was like, um, yeah, quite a big was story. This, was this the time <laughs> the that he was famously asked getting off the plane, what do you think of Iceland? Uh, yes, I think so. I don't think he's been many times to Iceland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw him actually once sing with Yoko Ono like five years ago. But okay. yeah, I think that was, this was his first time. And here there are some naval costumes by the looks of it, I think. Yes. Were these worn by the band? Yes, these were worn by the band. The one on the left was used in the movie that I was telling you about, Melterreno. Yes. And then these two were used on shows in uh, Copenhagen, if I'm not... Um, yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. There's a white and naval suit and a blue naval suit and also what at first glance looks like a high-vis jacket, but I'm sure I'm not. I'm sure it's not. famous for the humor. Like, the, yes. this um, outfit was used, I think the venue was called something royal. I can't remember exactly. This is the long blue yeah. naval outfit. But if you look on the back, it says royal baking powder. Uh, the name of the venue was something royal, so they made they put baking powder on the backs, <laughs> just as a joke. <laughs> okay, into the 1980s, the era of new wave. I guess the era of Mezzo Forte as well, who were the only band, really, I think, the only artist from Iceland to have international success, certainly in the UK, until the Sugar Cubes came along. Yes, they were the first, I think, to break internationally with with the song Garden Party. But this is the era of punk and um, and jazz, I would say, in Iceland. Also the era of uh, Raustvö, Channel 2, the second radio station launching in 1983 and celebrations for its 40th birthday going on this year. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What sort of difference did that make when there was more? We talked about the importance of the American radio from the base. When, when there were more radio stations, what sort of influence did that have on the making of music? I think it just added variety, I think. People were all listening to the one channel before. And we have information here about Cook, which was the first band, I think, to feature Björk, even before the Sugar Cubes. Yeah, Einar Örn and uh, Sigtryggur, the drummer, and Björk were in Cook. 
Uh, we actually have uh, this uh, gas mask from the... Um, they made a promo um, album with just two songs, I think. Mm. And this is the gas masks used on the front of it. But yeah, that's pre-Sugar Cubes Pre-Sugar Cubes. Yeah. And we will, on the Roof English, talk about some of the changes that took place in Iceland, mainly around the 1980s when things like the beer ban disappeared and you could have a dog in the Reykjavik and all the, all the strange laws that were in place changed. Was music changing as well in the 1980s in Iceland? Did it start to have a more international outlook, do you think? I think the Sugar Cubes uh, changed a lot of things in the 80s for the bands that would coming after mm. them. Um, but yes, definitely, they changed a lot. The first Icelander I ever spoke to in my life when I was 15 years of age, and it was a telephone interview with Eina Örn oh, okay. in <laughs> what would it have been, 87, 88 or something. It must have been a fun interview. It was, <laughs> yes, it was, <laughs> it was. And I think, you know, my sort of lifelong love of Iceland was certainly um, helped by, the, <laughs> by that conversation, I think. More vinyl records here on display. Bobby Socks, Let It Swing. That was a Norwegian Eurovision entry, I think, wasn't it? Probably. No, yes, was it? it was. But they, for some reason, the exhibitionist, uh, the curator, put it in here, <laughs> along with Echo. It was like a punk yeah. rock band uh, with Bibi Mortens and Paul McGunnarsson, who was in Eurovision as well, and Grafik, which is a band with Helge mm. Björsson, and Icy, of course, which were Iceland's first... Uh, Entry into Eurovision in 86. 86, because yeah. the country didn't take part before that, did it? No, that was yeah. the first year. Girls rock. Gvenna rock. Yeah. Some of the female artists who have made their name over the years. Sugar Cubes, of course, led by Björk, but who else are we looking at here? So, do, this is like when we come into this part of the exhibition, um, we will notice that there are not very many females. Björk is certainly a big figure in the 80s, but now um, there's a band called Dukkulisur, which was actually featured in the movie that I mentioned before with Stuðmenn, mm. um, with Ragnhildur Gísladóttir and um, Erla Ragnarsdóttir. And then there was a band called Kolrosa Krogren. They are actually from Keflavík. Mm. Grýlurnar were in uh, Stuðmenn, and this is Dukkulisurnar. This is kind of the beginning of girl bands. Yes. Well, you know, girls had been and in bands, but now we have girl bands finally. And one of the bands here, Bellatrix, who played with Coldplay in 1999. Yeah, it's a very fun story there. And it was Coldplay that warmed up for Bellatrix. Okay. Yes, that's Gosh. how early that is in right. 2001. Um, yeah, so Bellatrix were the, were the main act and Coldplay were supporting. More on Björk as we head round into the 1990s. Although the outfit that we see here is not Björk's, it belonged to or belongs to Paul Oscar. Yes. Like I said before, we did a special exhibition um, about him and his yes. um, career. And this is one of the uh, costumes that we left from that exhibition. It's a very, it was used uh, at a big concert in Harpa in Elborg. And it's special because it has LEDs, LED lights. Yes. And it was actually connected to the lighting board. <laughs> so we, it's, it's just put on white just for exhibition yeah. uh, purposes. It doesn't feel very safe. If I was wearing a costume covered with lots of electrical lights, I think I'd want it to be battery powered, not connected to the mains. Exactly. <laughs> but it was very striking, isn't it? Apparently it was, um, you know, if the lights were blue on the stage, the costume was blue as well. Yes. These are color LEDs. It was pretty impressive. It is, yeah. <laughs> It, we have more on Björk here, of course, and no conversation about Icelandic music could take place without reference to Björk, who, of course, is still making records, still performing. She was at Coachella, I think, a couple of months ago, and uh, the, the, the entire crowd was singing along with Hyper Ballad, which is certainly my favourite song of all time. Yeah. Word perfect, I think. And she has sold, it says here, more records than any other Icelander around the world. Yes, I think that's still correct, even yes. though this is... Uh, Ten-year-old information. <laughs> she never ceases to surprise uh, yes. me. Her albums or her live performances. She is, she is certainly one of a kind. Yeah. <laughs> and again, for people listening outside of Iceland, they're sometimes surprised by, and this is true of the whole country, that celebrity is not particularly important in Iceland. So someone like Björk can go to the supermarket, and do her shopping, and she can go to the swimming pool or whatever, and she's not going to be bothered by people because 
Iceland, we're just not that impressed by celebrity, really, are we? No, I mean, yeah, that is all true, that she can walk around freely um, amongst Icelanders, I think. Yes. I'm yes. not sure how it goes when, uh, when she meets international no, no. superfans. <laughs> Emiliana Torini had a number of hits in the UK. I think a lot of people maybe didn't realise that she was Icelandic and indeed was the writer of one of Kylie Minogue's hit singles as yeah. well in the 1990s or possibly in the 2000s. She's very well known um, in Iceland. She's very big, but she, I mean, she's been doing a lot there recently in the recent maybe four or five years with the, the Colorist Orchestra. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, she did well. She wrote the, uh, the uh, final song in Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And like you said before, she worked mm. with Kylie Minogue and she's been writing songs for numerous artists. And as we move round, we move away from the cassettes and the vinyl, although the vinyl is back. We're into the era very much of CD. Here is a copy of Life's Too Good by the Sugar Cubes and their follow-up. Stick around for joy. A couple of Björk CDs in here as well. And some laminates from the Stick Around for Joy tour. Yes, this is actually... Um, it would be best if this would be placed a little bit uh, earlier in the timeline, mm. but, you know, we don't have a lot of space. Uh, so we put it here because it's also fitting around this era. Um, but it's also put here because there was an exhibition done about the sugar cubes mm. called Lobster or Fame. And this is memorabilia from that exhibition. We have more stuff from that exhibition. We could mm -hmm. possibly put on like a 75% exhibition from that. Um, but this is the small stuff yeah. from the exhibition. Um, tags, like you said, laminates, CDs, backstage passes. It's here, Lobster or Fame. Decades of, of Bjork or... Lobster or Fame. Iceland Airwaves gets a mention here and we should maybe pause to talk about that for a bit because it's been around for a number of years and has for a long time been attracting international artists and visitors from all around the world. It's in November, of course, this year and every year. How important is Airwaves? Very important, uh, especially to this part of uh, Icelandic history. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot going on in Iceland in 1999. Like, yeah, we, yeah. like we talked about before, Sigurós gave out their most famous album, Algetasbyrn, and that's also the year that Iceland Airwaves started. And I think they played, I'm not sure, um, but it was held in a hangar mm. um, at first, and of course it moved downtown in various venues. Unlike many international music festivals, it doesn't take place in the middle of summer in a field. No. <laughs> it takes place happily inside lots of different buildings in the city centre. You wouldn't want to be outside in a field in Iceland in November, I suspect. No. Um, into the later part of the 2000s, more huge success around the world for Sigurós. Olafur Arnolds mm -hmm. enters the picture as well, I think, internationally. What else is taking place as we head towards the 2010s? I would say the most significant would be Of Monsters and Men. They were... Uh, a small band <laughs> that uh, became huge. Mm. And then also um, in this era, there's the story of Kaleo, uh, which are quite big in the US. I think that's their primary market. Yeah. There's Oliver Arnolds, the Lady Onions. I, a long time ago, dabbled in managing bands in the UK. I wasn't very good at it. But there were some names that kept popping up all the time. You'd get one person who would play in about four or five different bands. Yeah. That really happens a lot here in Iceland, doesn't it? Everyone seems to play in each other's band. I didn't realize until about a year ago, for example, that the drummer in Hattari is also in Vuk. Oh, that's very, very common. Yeah. And yeah. there are a few drummers and instrumentalists. Um, I can mention like Magnus Tryggvason, Eliasson, which is in, I think, around 10 bands. He's in Amina, <laughs> you know, Moses Hightower. And, you know, it's, the list is endless. Yeah. And you, you can see him running around airways with the cymbals and the snare drum <laughs> yes, running yes, down yes, yes. It's it Must it's, be a nightmare to organize if oh, you've yeah. got the same drummer on four different times at the same festival. Is that because of numbers, do you think? It's, yes. Or is it because everyone is so creative they want to be in? 10 different bands. No, I think that's that's <laughs> pure lack of people. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, no, Magnus, well, just so mention that, Magnus is a yeah. brilliant drummer and yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He, he would, should be in all bands. But no, I think that's definitely... And, but that's also the great thing about the Icelandic music market, that you know, people are all friends. Yeah, there yeah, are no yeah. enemies. Yeah, yeah, there does seem to be a sense that everyone wants it all to work for everyone. Yes. Everyone is on each other's side. And because I worked around airwaves for quite some time, and I know for, you know, uh, for a fact that they will plan, you know, accordingly. They know which instruments uh, or instrumentalists are in many bands, so they'll first organize around them so they can get, all, get to all their shows. Yes. And as we head towards the, well, the present day, I guess, Skalmuld, we must mention. Jonzi, mm -hmm. who in 2011 got the Nordic Council Music Prize for his album Go, which is still one of my favorite records ever. I still think it sounds like nothing else. <laughs> one of the best live shows I've ever seen was Jonzi yeah. yeah. um, in Lördalshöll playing that album. And a Grammy, a Golden Globe, and a BAFTA for Hilda Guðnadóttir. Owned the last two years in this exhibition. <laughs> and an Oscar indeed as well, of course, which yes. she got for Chernobyl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a Grammy She's too. been doing very well. And that takes us up to the present day, pretty much. That's the permanent exhibition. The importance of various instruments, also mentioned here, the bass guitar, the electric guitar, what happened when they were introduced into Iceland. Yeah, so this here, which we are looking at now, is our sound lab. We, we feature the instruments, like electric guitar and bass guitar, and this is like a red theme, I would say. And then you can walk here into the red space mm. where you can try the instruments. Okay. So here you have an electric guitar and electric bass. And on the other side, you will find like a green themed uh, part about drumming. And if you walk over here... Well, I do have an electric drum kit. I haven't played yes. it for a while, but I do dabble. I could probably get a couple of beats out of a drum here. kit. Here is... Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the drum kit I have, actually. <laughs> yeah, okay. So here we have you yeah. know, a part about Icelandic drummers and drumming in Iceland, and yes. then you can try drums. Uh, we call it the Sound Lab. Okay. Can I try the guitar, actually? Because I've, I've, I've never really played an electric guitar, and I, I'd be quite curious. What guitar is this? Um, this is a Fender Squire guitar, Stratocaster. Okay. It's nothing expensive, don't worry. You say that like I uh, shouldn't worry if I damage it. Yeah, I'm okay. saying don't worry if you damage so, it. So... It's not a very nice noise, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, um, my... <laughs> I like dabbling on my keyboard, and I can, I can bash out a tune on the drums, but I've, I've never actually played a guitar, as you can probably tell. Yes. <laughs> do, you get, do you find new talent here? Do you get people coming along, do you think, actually, you're quite good at this? Um, I can't say that I have. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually people that are trying, like you. Yes, yeah, so I've not embarrassed myself too much. No, no, no. Okay. no it's, but it's very funny too, that we get so many people here that are just, you know, they've never held an electric guitar or held an electric bass, and they're so happy that they can actually feel the instrument. And, and as we mentioned, the electric drum kit there is exactly the same one that I have, in fact. <laughs> this is the Roland kit, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great kit, and uh, the good thing about it is that you can have studio drums or live drums or Jamaican drums or... Yeah. It's... Actually, I'm going to have a go on this, I think, yeah. even though <laughs> I'm more familiar with this. I want to redeem myself after the... Uh, <laughs> electric guitar fiasco. It's not amped up then? No, it's not amped up, but you could listen to it here if you oh, like. Okay. I'll tell you what, if you put the, the microphone next to the headphones, okay. and um, I won't be able to hear what I'm playing really, but we'll, we'll give it a go. Did that work? Yes. Okay. Not as embarrassed now as I was a couple of minutes ago. All right, we'll put the, uh, the sticks back down there. Now, these wooden figures that are in the middle here that represent a band, I've seen something like this in one of the hotels in, in Reykjavik, at the Marine Hotel, Marina Hotel, I think. It's the same artist. Same artist, Alla yeah, yeah. All of this. She has, I think, one piece of art in every Icelandair hotel. Yes. Uh, sometimes it's a farmer, sometimes it's a sheep. But she actually made the band Hjalmar, which uh, two of the members are from Keflavik. They're an Icelandic reggae band. And, yeah, she carved them all out. Yeah. And we have them here, full-size. Beautiful art, yeah. amazing artwork, very striking yeah. to have these male figures represented. You've got, <laughs> you've got a karaoke room as well. Yes, uh, the first exhibition that we did was about Paul, uh, Paul Oscar, or Pat Oscar, and it was kind of a requirement from him 
that people could sing his songs and get them sent to your email. So first, at first it was just the Paul Oscar karaoke booth, but now you can sing almost any song and mm -hmm. yeah, get it sent to your inbox and share, really? share it with your world. <laughs> but this part here, which we were walking past before, this, this whole exhibition, uh, the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll, is based on an exhibition that was done in a restaurant in Keflavik called Glóðin. And it was called Beatlabær in Keflavik, or the Beatle Town Keflavik. Mm -hmm. And these are memorabilia and artifacts that were in the original exhibition. It was kind of set up like a hard rock restaurant where you had guitars and jackets on the wall. And, um, and these are actually clothes from Hljómar, the band that we mm -hmm. talked about earlier that Rúnar Júlíusson was in. That's his. These are quite ornate items of clothing. One, there's one red... I guess you'd call it almost like a, a shirt, I suppose, a red velvet shirt with Tweety Pie yeah. on the front of it. That's from Runa Julius, actually, okay. and that's his bass guitar that's there. His bass guitar there. Yeah. And some of the other items here, there are, well, here's an old record player from 1950, uh, and some more vinyl singles and some photographs of various prominent artists as well throughout the years. Yeah. And there's also... Some gold discs, too. Yeah, there are gold albums from Hjomar as well, and some um, trophies that they got. They, they, in Iceland, they had these contests for the best band and the best singer, and these are trophies from that, those um, competitions. Mm. This is actually also from the original exhibition, uh, which says what is um, similar with Keflavik in Liverpool, because they were, you know, fascinated by Liverpool and the Beatles. And there's actually, this is all in Icelandic, but there are many things mm. uh, that these two places have in common. For example, Keflavik is the fifth um, pop most populated town in Iceland. That also applies to Liverpool. And they are both set up uh, next to military bases. They're yes. both set up on uh, ports or next to oceans with ports. And there was a big uh, theater scene in Liverpool also here and so on. So there are a few things. And I think as well, they're obviously both places where people from different countries are going to be found. Yes. Keplavik is where the international airport is, and, and Liverpool, of course, is a very important port, but we'd also have had people from different countries coming to the UK there as well. Yes, I would say so. More guitars. Uh, well, a drum kit, firstly. Yes. At first, we're going to talk about... This is, uh, this is my favourite uh, memorabilia at the exhibition. This is Gunnar Jökull's drum kit. And he was the drummer for a few bands, but mainly for a band called Trubrot. And this is the album, the original LP, Leven. And this is the drum kit that he played on Leven. Um, it's probably the only drum kit that is still like in one piece from that time. But it's also quite fascinating that this is the drum kit that he traveled with to London to record that album. That, that usually wasn't a common practice no. back then. They usually just used the drum kit that was in the studio or they got kits um, rented. But he had been saving money since he was a kid with the money that he got for his baptism and his birthdays. And he bought the champagne oh. sparkling Ludwig set with this, beautiful. with this snare drum. And he said, I have to take this with me. So. It has traveled to London to record this most legendary <laughs> album called Leven, uh, but it's here. And now it's safely back here, back home. It is. Yeah. And over here we have a big wall with the eye, the famous eye from Leven. And the uh, bright part there is, um, is an iPad. You can listen to the album there. But Were musical instruments being made in Iceland or they all had to be imported? Yeah. That's an important and difficult cost, isn't it, for bands and artists in the 50s and 60s to have to find the money? I think they put all their savings into <laughs> buying instruments yeah. at that time. But yeah, we have uh, a small interactive screen here about Gunnar Jögel, who, who owned the kit, and about Trubrot and about the album. A lot of electric guitars and indeed some acoustic guitars here as well, together with more gold discs. Quite a collection. Yes. This is actually what oh. is left of the special exhibition about Björgun Halldorsson, who we spoke about earlier. Uh, this was the exhibition was here on the main floor and mm. this was a part of it and this is 38 uh, guitars from his private collection um, but he wants to emphasize that it's a part of his collection it's not <laughs> i think he has 50 or 60 guitars yeah. well, you know how many guitars does someone need 50 exactly and, he, and he's most famous for being a singer so 
Yeah, he says yeah. he has a thing with guitars. He has a problem walking past one without asking, you know, what kind is it? What yeah, year yeah, is it? Yeah. How much do you want for it? Beautiful <laughs> items. There's a Telecaster Rosewood. There are lots of highly polished wooden guitars here. If you look closely, uh, see the leather patch behind the strings. Yes. It says Bo Hull. That's the, that was his artist name in English. And you, you will see if you um, look closely, like at the top of this guitar here, the Celtic Cross, do you see the little red ring with the B.O. in the middle? You will see it on numerous guitars if you start looking for it. But yeah, he has marked themselves with his initials. And also there's memorabilia here that shows how Icelandic music was connected to international music. There's a signed photo of the DJ Wolfman Jack there. And there's a photo of Rod Stewart, who singing is with Björgen. singing with Björgen. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, there's, a, there's a story behind this photo that Rod Stewart was like the guest of honor during a Miss Iceland contest. And they, He'd have hated that. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was somehow tricked onto stage and somebody passed him a microphone and the band started playing a song by Rod Stewart and, and Björgen sang with him. It was kind of like a moment where he was on stage with a microphone and he couldn't say no in front of a crowd of a thousand people. Mm. But it wasn't planned. He wasn't going to sing. No. But they kind of like said, yeah, well, just start singing now. But there's the photo that proves that it happened. Yes. And apparently there's a video. There's Is a video too? There's video footage okay. of it. As we move further on, we mentioned the late Johan Johansson who passed away in 2018. And he really was certainly I think becoming internationally very very well known for that sort of neoclassical style that a lot of modern composers yeah. work in. He was a, a real loss. Yes I would say so. He was a great artist and was a member of many great bands like Ham and Apparat Organ Quartet. And his solo compositions were attracting a lot of attention as well. Yeah. More on Megas here through the 1970s up to 1977. We'll move now to so this is what I mentioned earlier was that we had this made. Uh, we worked for about a year. Should you explain what this is? It is it's a desk with a turntable, but there's no arm and there's no stylus yes. on one side. And on the other side, there is what looks like a box full of picture discs. Yes. It's not quite that, is it? No. So the, the short story of how this uh, came into existence, was we worked with a company called Gagarin. We were trying to... Um, shall I say, solve, how do we add more for fans of bands? Like here we are standing in front of a six meter high photo of, of Monsters Men. Yeah. It has two paragraphs and maybe 10 photographs. So we, had to, we were trying to figure out how can we give uh, guests more information? How can they you know, dive deeper into each artist? And what we came up with was this uh, interactive LP uh, player where you select, you have these LPs, these are not discs, they are actually vinyl um, albums, yeah, but they've I been mean, printed, this guy who can print on vinyl these pictures, which is great. So you, you choose one of these. So you choose one artist, which one do you want to... Uh, um, well, let's, let's go with, let's go with Megas, actually, since we've mentioned Megas quite okay. a lot. So let's, nope. so that's that one there. So you have A and B sides. This yeah. one is in English, this was in Icelandic. And you put on the LP, and in front of you, there's a four meter wide um, picture of Megas. And if you use your right hand and put your hand on the LP and you slowly turn it. Okay. And then, so by turning the disc, yes. the uh, display moves a bit like a sort of auto cue, I guess. And you can learn, you can go back as well. These words aren't mine at all. They come from other people. I just noticed what goes on around me. The words of Megas there and his story mm -hmm. and his artistry begins to unveil itself. Yeah. So, as you can see, um, the old exhibition, or if I, say, if, I say, if I can call it old, yes. you have uh, texts and photos. But here we can add videos and, of course, music. So it's kind of four layers of, um, I yes. would say, it solves a lot of stuff. You want to give guests the, um, shall I say, the experience of music, of course, and also videos of what they've made. And this kind of is the solution to yeah. that. And this is a one of a kind. You won't find this in a museum no. in Norway or England or anyway. This is specially made for us. And you have three LP players. They all have the same LPs, but you can just choose you artists. Choose. And there are headphones here to listen as yes. well to the music of yes. the artists. And there's a progress bar over there in the corner. You can see how yeah. far you're into. Wow. 
you must have been really pleased with how this turned out. Oh, it's just brilliant. I think it's a brilliant solution to what we were trying to solve, um, to add music and videos to the text and photos. Yeah, yeah. But the biggest, actually, to, to tell you the inside information was the biggest challenge was to have uh, two languages so close to each other. There's a sensor, obviously, yes. that senses which album you put on. I'm trying to work out the technology here because it looks, as I say, it looks like a vinyl picture disc that you might buy in a shop. There is no tone arm, there is no stylus, but the turntable just knows what to yeah. show on the screen. Yes, uh, not to give too much away, but there is a sensor uh, and a computer underneath all this that is yeah. sensing which album did you just put on, which side did you put on, yeah. how fast are you turning it to the left, how fast are you turning it to the right. Um, but it was actually kind of funny when we were still in the beta phases, we had to, there, there was no scrolling speed maximum. So kids would come here and try to, you know, spin it as fast as they could. But we had to put like a max scrolling speed. So it doesn't, right. matter, it doesn't matter how fast you do it. It always goes to that. People maximum. try scratching as well, do they maybe? No, they Moving don't. Things back and forth. <laughs> but yeah, we are really, I think people, they love, and they stand here for hours sometimes. Yeah. And there's a lot of information there as well. It's not just about the novelty of, you know, sort of playing the record in that way. Yeah. There's lots of data contained on those discs. Yeah. Let's move now to what's well, another mixing desk yes. um, where you can listen to various audio recordings. Yes, or actually just one. Just one. But the uh, best thing about this is it's a part. It's a part of our sound lab, in the sound lab where you can try an instrument and mm -hmm. put your hands on something. If you put these headphones on you, you have the multi-track here of the song Little Talks, which was of Monsters and Men's biggest single. And you can turn the volume up and down on the drums or the, sing or the vocals or the Hammond organ or the bass yes. and guitar and everything. You can try remixing down and remixing the song. If you think the drums were too loud on the original, you can just simply <laughs> just turn them down a little bit. Or if you well, just what do the band make of that? If they've got people turning up and changing their record? Well, they agreed to let people, you know, experience <laughs> being an audio engineer, so... Um, yeah, so they don't mind. Okay. Yeah. Another but, band, of course, of Monsters and Men who have really cut through, I think, internationally, haven't they? Yes, they are very big internationally. And Brynjar, who, who is placed there in the middle here, he's from the town of Keflavik. And Nanna, the, one of the lead singers, he's from Gardur, which is a town only yes. about six minutes away from Keflavik. So they, they are partly from this area. And... Talking of acts from this area and, and various important parts, we have here a map of rock and roll in Reckines by uh, the town of Reckines, the urban area in which we're standing just now and some important sites here. Yes, uh, this is our Hollywood uh, map of fame. Um, when the museum opened, we, we gave people printed out maps so they could either walk or drive around town and find um, like where the people used to live or the uh, famous buildings that were connected to the story of music from this area. For example, uh, Krosin, which I mentioned earlier, yes. um, which was the first time where Hjomar, um, uh performed. So if you, this is yellow, and that's the dot 43. So you'll find the dot 43 oh, that's in yellow. That's the places, and then the red dots are people. And these photographs show the buildings as they would have been, Back well, then. you know, 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. Here you can see Stape, which is our, we also have a music venue here that we have concerts in, uh, which was built in 65. So the part that we are standing in now, that was opened in 2014, we are standing somewhere around here. Yes. So, so half of the building that we're in just now was around. Yes. From then. Yeah. It's almost um, 60 years old. And over here we have a small cinema um, called Fjellax Bio, which is named after a cinema that was in Keflavik many years ago. And this has Icelandic documentaries about music just on repeat all day. You have rock in Reykjavik, you have pop in Reykjavik, uh, Heima with Sigurós, uh, Screaming Masterpiece. Do you know which band are, are playing just now? This is a documentary of Icelandic punk by the looks of uh, it. There's a drummer there with a Sid Vicious t-shirt. I'm not sure the name of the band, but this is definitely Rockin' Reykjavik, yes, which yes. <laughs> was the punk scene. That film, that documentary, again, in terms of sort of pushing Iceland out to the world musically, was very important, wasn't it? Rockin' Reykjavik, yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. It was very important. And that was kind of the final uh, part of the museum. But over here, we kind of end with a big picture of Hjomar, which, which we've mentioned a few times. 
with Rúnar Júlíusson and all the other guys, Einar Júlíusson and uh, Gunnar Þórðarsson. And then we also have a wall with Lifetime Achievement Awards from the Icelandic Music Awards. Mm. Let's take a look at some of those names then and why they are important. Who would you, who would you pick out here? Well, they're all very important. Uh, Mekas is here, of course. The Sugar Cubes are over here. Yes. They got the award in 2014. Mezzo Forte is here. But it's actually funny when you look at the story, they started handing out the uh, award in 93 and Björgvin Halderson was the first to get it. But they didn't start handing it to bands until 2013. But here you have Rúnar Júlíusson, of course. Mm. And composers too, like Jón Nodal is there. Uh, yes, he is one of the, I say, old-timers. Yes. 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 Um, yeah, Baldesson, he has he's from Keflavik as well, and Mekas. I think yeah. that photo was taken in the old uh, Pardalen, is it? Yes. The old revolving restaurant. That, I think, pretty much takes us, well, it takes us back to Sigurós. It takes us back to the very beginning, doesn't it, here at the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll. There are, of course, music videos on repeats yes. in, in the on these projectors in the uh, ceiling, which may, we maybe haven't talked about. Um, but it's just a various blend. It can be pop and it can be rap. It can be Utegarsmen, which we're watching now with Bippi at this punk era. And do you get people that come here because they, want, they, they have an interest in Icelandic music, they want to find out more about it? Or do you get people who come here with no idea about how broad Icelandic music history is and are surprised by it? I think most people know at least one or two bands. Of course, we get people that don't know anything about uh, Icelandic music or bands or artists. Um, but usually, um, for example, people from England will know Björk and mm. Sigurós. People from the States will know uh, Kaleo and Of Monsters and Men and um, Johan Johansson. They mm. kind of know him there okay. as well. All of our Arnolds is known both in Europe and the US and Emil Torini as well. So, um, yeah, but I think I, if, I, if, I would, if I were to guess, I think people at least know one artist and that's, yeah. that's uh, you know, ignited some kind of curiosity and they want to know more. Well, this is the place, it seems, to find out as much as you could ever want to. Thomas, thank you so much. No problem. Thank for you. your time. It's really fascinating to be here. Can't recommend it highly enough. This is the Icelandic Museum of Rock and Roll in Keplavik, and as Thomas says, a lot of visitors tend to come here on their way out of the country, heading back to Keplavik International Airport. But however long you are in Iceland for, definitely worth coming along here. This is Roof English, and I'm Darren Adam, and you can get in touch with us anytime by email. We are english at ruv.is. You are listening to the Roof English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is English.